Today we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John, and the title of this morning's message is, Born Again, Not of Adam, Nor of Abraham. Born Again, Not of Adam, meaning it's not enough to be born a human being, nor born a Jew, and that would be the context of the New Testament, right, in genealogical connection to Abraham. The main point of today's passage is quite simple. In fact, for those of you who are familiar with the church and you've been in the church and you've studied the Bible, then, you, then you'll understand that Jesus is teaching that to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again, not physically, but spiritually. And for those of you who are new to Christianity, this is the right passage for you to understand what the Christian life is about. It's not just about behavior. It's not just about a set of rules. It is about a relationship with Jesus that really changes you from the inside out. It changes you from within. And so, point number one, if you have God's Word, take it and turn with me to John 3. John chapter 3 in your Bibles. John chapter 3. And point number one is the respectable seeker. The respectable seeker. And when I say respectable, I mean well-regarded or having a good reputation or having a good standing in society. So now look with me at verses 1 to 2, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, where we'll see Nicodemus, this man described as a respectable seeker. Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So I'll, I'll leave the text on there for a moment before I, I put the subpoint up so you can look at the text. And if you'll note, note on the PowerPoint or on the screen what I've highlighted, you'll see what we're going to explain that he's a man of the Pharisees, and he's a ruler of the Jews. This means that within his own, among his own people, within Jewish society, he was not just a religious leader. Religious leaders were well-respected. He was one of the more conservative religious leaders. You see, there were, there were the Sadducees who were politically tied in with Rome, and they were like the aristocrats. And then there were the Pharisees, and those would be like the pastors, the ministers to the average Jewish people. And there's something unique that you should pay attention to here is that the Sadducees, we have this joke that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection and that's why they're sad, you see. Uh, but the Pharisees, they didn't believe in Jesus, but they believed in a resurrection. And so when Jesus talks about new life, he's expecting Nicodemus as a Pharisee to understand some of these things. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, but he's also a ruler of the Jews, which means he's part of the ruling council. He's part of the Jewish leadership. And so when it comes to Nicodemus, he's well-respected. But the interesting thing is that the Pharisees, you know, hate Jesus. In fact, throughout the Gospel of John and throughout the rest of the Gospels, you'll see the Pharisees are the ones plotting and conspiring to have Jesus killed. And so we see that we see that Nicodemus, he was, respect, he was respectable, but he also came to Jesus respectful. I don't think that's the main point that John's trying to make, but you kind of see that in how he refers to Jesus as rabbi. Oh, and we'll get to that. But first, how did he come to Jesus? 
Notice in verse 2, it says, He came to Jesus by night. Now, there's a lot of commentary that has read into this phrase, by night. Some say that Nicodemus came under the cover of darkness because he was a Pharisee. He was afraid to be discovered. He was afraid that his fellow colleagues would recognize him going to their enemy, Jesus. Respectfully going to Jesus. And so they say he came under the cover of darkness. Others say that he simply came at nighttime because rabbis would pontificate and they would just debate and argue theology into the night. I don't think there's much weight behind that argument. Uh, Others will say that night is symbolic of spiritual darkness based on how night is used in passages like John 9 verse 4, John 11 verse 10, John 13 verse 30, where night is used to refer to spiritual darkness. But I don't think that's the case. There's not enough contextually from this passage or from the surrounding passage or any passage about Nicodemus but to simply say that he came at nighttime. Now, here's why I don't think we should read too much into it. It's because whatever it is, whatever it is, the most important thing is that he's a Pharisee coming to Jesus. And later, at the end of the sermon, it's going to refer to him coming at night again. And it's simply saying that he's the one who came by night. He's the one that came to Jesus at nighttime. Now, notice in verse 2, Nicodemus referred to Jesus as rabbi. Now, in contrast to other accounts of of Jesus versus the Pharisees, uh, Nicodemus was respectful towards Jesus. The Pharisees did not respect Jesus. Rabbi simply meant teacher. But more than just simple teachers, you know, we got to explain this a little bit. Obviously, as a pastor, teacher, I have a high regard for teachers. I think in certain cultures, there's a high regard for teachers. But how teachers are paid and you know, treated in our society in the West, they're not always as respected. In Jewish culture, it is very different. Teacher is more like master. You don't just learn knowledge from a teacher. You know, sometimes you take a class, you sign up for a class. There's no high schoolers in here, right? So you, you choose your class as a collegiate. You might choose it because of the teacher. Sometimes you don't even care who's teaching it. You just need the credit if it's a general ed class. So you choose the teacher, you want the information. Maybe you just need the credit and you're done. You get your certification, whatever it is. A teacher in Jewish culture was not just someone that you learn information from, but you would spend time sitting under their tutelage. This would be more like being someone's intern because you wanted to be, and you wanted not only to emulate their knowledge, but you wanted to live like them. And if, you, if there was a certain trade, like, like being a carpenter or a blacksmith, you would want to do things according to your master. And so Nicodemus, being a fellow rabbi, comes to Jesus, a man from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth, right? A man of no reputation. At this point, even his disciples don't really understand Jesus' true identity. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't res- resurrected yet. At this point in his ministry, he's just a man who happens to perform some supernatural miracles. Now, that's pretty good. But Nicodemus, being a proud Pharisee, has no reason to respect Jesus, but he comes to him. And I don't think he just comes to him as a fellow person where we can see eye to eye, colleague. But in how he speaks to Jesus, he says, we know you are a teacher come from God for no one, no one else can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. He had a high respect 
for Jesus. And at this point, we understand that this is a secret belief or a secret interest in Jesus. Nicodemus, despite his position and his reputation among the leaders, comes to Jesus with full respect. Now, the second thing we see about Nicodemus is that Nicodemus was seeking the kingdom of God. Now, the text doesn't say that, right? Nicodemus doesn't actually utter the words out of his mouth, Jesus, tell me about the kingdom. I'm here to seek the kingdom. But how Jesus answers him gives us all we need to know. Jesus looked right into his heart. And so Jesus answered him. Notice verse 3, and I have the verse for you on the screen. It says, Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, first, let's, let's understand what the kingdom of God is. In our day, we think of entering the kingdom. If I simply said the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you'll see that in the scriptures, especially the gospels, this language is interchangeable. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. We think individualistically that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you live your life, and then when you die, you go to heaven. You enter God's kingdom. Now, that's true. That is true. But the Jewish understanding was, was much more robust. Their idea of the kingdom of God was thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The idea that at the end of the age, the heaven would come down onto earth and the Jewish Messiah would establish Israel as a global empire. And that in that way, justice and peace for Israel would be restored. Now to understand that, you have to see where Nicodemus is coming from. And as I explained this to you, I want you to see that Nicodemus is, and, and the Jews of Jesus' day is not too far from you and me in terms of what we desire of God. Okay, so first, the Jews of Jesus' day, they long for a better world. I think you and I, we long for a better world. We ought to long for a better world. But the difference is that as Americans, American citizens, I don't know if you guys know this, but the rest of the world... Well, maybe at a certain point, things have changed, but they saw us as on top of society, okay? The Jews were not on top of society. The Romans were. The Greeks were. And so the Jews were, at this moment, living under Roman rule. But this was true for centuries. They've been living under foreign rule. Starting with 597 B.C., when the Babylonians invaded uh, Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem, the Israelites were under foreign oppression, now, we know that there were glory days for Israel, the Davidic kingdom, but Israel came from a history where they were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt. So the Jews, they who were oppressed, they were saying, we are the chosen people. We are God's people. How are the Gentiles, our enemies, lording over us? And so the Jews believed that God would bring justice and peace through a Messiah, and that Messiah being the greater son of David, that when that Messiah comes, the kingdom of God would come onto the actual earth. And not only would they see redemption, but they wanted to see their enemies underneath their feet. That's what they longed for. And they believed that they would be saved from their oppressors and their enemies. Now, of course, there were more sanctified Jews at that point who probably had a more positive outlook of, of spiritual realities, but we know the Judaism, known as Second Temple Judaism, that Jesus was confronting. He came to change the system, right? He came to sh reveal the corruption. He came to look into the heart of the leaders and to reveal where they lacked 
true spiritual faith. And so the Jews wanted to see the kingdom of God. So that's what they're saying. They actually wanted to see the kingdom of God come down onto the earth. And that's the only type of Messiah that they were going to accept and receive. So seeing the kingdom of God for someone like Nicodemus wasn't just the idea of going into heaven. So to the Jews, the coming kingdom of God would be a place where the Jews were in positions of eternal power and privilege. Now hold that thought, and I want you to consider this question. Nicodemus was seeking the kingdom of God. What kingdom are you seeking? What to you would be a better world? Is it a world of wealth and power? Probably. I mean, if you're reasonable, you might not say, I want to be the wealthiest person in the world, but you would say, I want to be wealthy and comfortable, and I want to have power, meaning I don't want people oppressing me. Is it a world of comfort and ease? where life is, comes easier? Is it a world of justice and peace for everyone? I mean, maybe all of the above. And I think if I look around this room, I don't know any of you who would actually say I'd want to be the king because you're going to have a lot of problems to deal with, right? Nobody wants to be, no one wants to be the world leader and deal with the stress that you have to deal with. But I gather that if we're honest, we would want to be close to the people on top or whoever's on top, whoever the government is, whoever the king is, we would, we would want someone who would bring benefits and blessing to us and our families, our people. And so at the heart level, it's not much different. What we want, what we envision as a better world is not much different from what the Jews of Jesus' day envisioned as a better world for them. But I want you to think for a moment in the Old Testament, those of you who are Bible students, if you're new to the Bible, there's something you need to know. In the, in the Old Testament, if you were just to read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you would see that there are occasions where Israel had a good king. But by and large, Israel had evil kings. They had a corrupt leadership. And it's easy for us to think if we had the power, we would do the right thing. If you put us into the seat of government and allow us to be in control, we would be just and we would bring peace to all people. But the Israelites, they oppressed the Gentiles. They were supposed to be set apart from the nations, yes, to be a light to the nations. And even as Jesus, in the Gospel of John, was walking around, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Rather than wanting to reach their neighbors, they hated their neighbors. And their priesthood, their spiritual leaders, became corrupt long before 2020. Right? You see corruption among the spiritual leaders of supposedly God's people. And so that's why I think it's easier to think and to be deceived if we are given power, we will do the right thing. But you see what Jesus is getting at when it comes to kingdom? He's saying, Nicodemus, what you need is not a new government. You need a new humanity. You need a new heart. And that's why you need to be born again. Point number one, clear? Let's move to point number two. Point number two 
That sets us up for point number two, the regenerating Savior. So you have someone seeking, this, re, this respectable seeker seeking the kingdom of God. And Jesus is telling him, you need to be born again. And he doesn't quite understand that what he needs is not a new government, but he needs, if he wants to see the kingdom of God, then the people of God need new hearts. And the only way to get a new heart is to be born again. And so we must be born again to enter God's kingdom. You must be born again to enter God's kingdom. Look with me at verses 3 to 4 where it says this. Jesus answered him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? I mean, how, how, that's, that's a good question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's impossible. Just like Chick-fil-A being open on Sunday, impossible. Right? You can't get a chicken sandwich on Sunday. You can't be born again a second time if you're talking about physical birth. But born again is what theologians refer to as regeneration. So it's not a big word. To generate is to create power and to generate life. Genesis, new life, the beginning, new beginnings, a new genesis. Well, to regenesis, to regenerate means to be born again. It means to be made new and what we see in Jesus' response is telling when we consider Nicodemus. And here's what we're learning about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved, quote-unquote, or to be a part of God's kingdom is one. You can't enter God's kingdom by being a good moral person because Nicodemus, we're just going to look at this face value on the text and we're going to say Nicodemus is a good moral person and Jesus does not deny that. I want you to keep in mind that Jesus has no problem calling out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He goes and battles the Pharisees, rebuking them. Now, Jesus does not rebuke Nicodemus any, at any point for being a hypocrite or even being morally sinful or being corrupt. Instead, he challenges Nicodemus and says, you're a Pharisee and you don't have the proper knowledge of the Old Testament? You ought to know better. But we can conclude based on Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus that Nicodemus was a good moral person. But Jesus is essentially saying you can't enter God's kingdom by simply being a good moral person or having religion. The second thing, you can't enter God's kingdom through religious knowledge. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He knew the Jewish scriptures apparently not well enough. According to Jesus, you ought to know better, but he's a teacher of God's people. Yet that didn't qualify him. That's scary, right? Because sometimes we think if I just know more of the Bible, we, we should know the Bible. We should study the Bible for transformation, not simply for information. Thirdly, you can't enter God's kingdom because of your position in society. Nicodemus had a good social standing. He was well-achieved, right? He was well-respected, reputable among his people. But your standing in society has no bearing on your standing in God's kingdom. And then, lastly, in connection to the title of our message, you can't enter by simply being Jewish. You can't enter simply by being connected to Abraham. Being Jewish, a biological heir of Abraham, does not qualify you to enter God's kingdom. And this much must have been shocking for the Jews to hear 
And so what Jesus is essentially saying is there's nothing you can do to become this new person. Now here's a trick that's not really in the text. There's nothing you can do to become a physical new person either. You, you, you realize that? That spiritual birth is supernatural, but when was the last time we could generate our own physical birth? A baby is born by whose command and allowance and guidance? God. God is the one that allows conception to happen. So we should understand that physical birth is a miracle of God. Physical birth does not happen apart from God. Same way, spiritual birth does not happen apart from God. But spiritual birth requires a supernatural process where physical birth, God has ordained a physical process. Not going to get into biology today, but let's continue with theology. So hence, born again, not of Adam, nor of Abraham, but of the Holy Spirit. So in verse five, verses 5 to 8, we see that we, you must be born again through supernatural birth. So you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. How does this happen? It's through a supernatural birth, not a natural birth. So look at verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered him. So Jesus knows that uh, good old Nick is perplexed. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said, that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised, in other words. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in my translation of the Bible, I use the English Standard Version. I also use the New American Standard in my study. And the S for Spirit is capitalized. So here you see, so it is the everyone who is born of the Spirit. So not just being spiritually born, but born by the agency or through the Holy Spirit. Being born by the Holy Spirit's power. So when Jesus refers first to being born of the water and the Spirit, very clear that we need to understand that Jesus is not referring to two separate events. He's not saying you're born of water and then you're born of the Spirit and they're two separate events. This is referring to one singular event. Uh, if you want to read more about it, uh, Don Carson, D.A. Carson, has a commentary. Uh, it's all in English, okay? Uh, so, and it's, it's, it's part of the pillar New Testament commentary. It's a little bit heavy, uh, but if you read his explanation... I think it's great. You'll understand that it's, he argues that it's one event, not two events. Okay, so that's uh, extra for those of you nerds. Now, there's considerable debate over the meaning of born of water. Okay, a born of water. First, some people will say born of water refers to human birth. And Jesus is saying you need to be born first as a human, then through the Spirit. And, and that's not the case because human birth does not save you at all. Right? And, and so some people would say born of a water is referring to the amniotic fluid that flows out of the womb right before childbirth. Uh, but the reason why we don't take that view is because it's not clear that anywhere in ancient literature or in the New Testament times that they used a phrase, the water broke. They, they just didn't have that type of phrase or that concept. And we don't think that's what Jesus is saying for other reasons. Second, Jesus is not referring to spiritual birth being better than or superseding Jewish cleansing rituals. 
So some would say that, that, Nic- that Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it's good that you follow the Jewish cleansing rituals born of water, but you also need to be born of the Spirit, and we know that's not true. Third, born of water, some believe that this is talking about baptism, but here's why I don't think John or Jesus here is talking about baptism. Because at this point, in John 3, there is not an established understanding of what Christian baptism is. And Jesus, and here's the interpretive key, Jesus expected Nicodemus to know exactly what he was talking about. And so it's very clear, there's no way that Nicodemus would have comprehended Christian baptism. Instead, what Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand was Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36 and 37, it spoke of being born of water and of the Spirit together as talking about spiritual cleansing. By the time of Nicodemus and Jesus, it was well understood that those who interpreted the prophets knew that Israel could not truly become God's people unless their internal sins were dealt with through spiritual cleansing, a renewed heart. And like I mentioned, the Pharisees believed in resurrection. So, So that's why Jesus is saying, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. You should not marvel that I say this, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. You must be born again through the Holy Spirit. Now, how does regeneration happen? Now, now we understand that to be saved, we need to trust in the word of life. We need to trust in Jesus. But how regeneration happens is a miracle in of itself. It cannot be scientifically broken down. And so Jesus tells us that by verse 8. And what Jesus is saying in verse 8 is you will see the results, but you might not see the process. You might not know how it's done. Okay, and so in verse 8, let me read to you verse 8 once again, right? In John 3, verse 8, it says, the wind blows where it wishes. You have no control of the wind. The wind just blows where it wishes, but you know it's the wind. You hear its sound. I don't know how, how do you make wind sound, you know, but you do not know where it comes from because the wind changes. Sometimes it's coming from the west. Sometimes it's coming from the south. You know, some coastal winds. Some, you, some of you guys are going to correct me. You're like, I'm the weather person. That's wrong, what you said. We always, it always comes from Santa Ana. Not true. That's not what it means. <laughs> you know, so, but the wind, we don't know where the wind comes from. We can't control the wind, but you see the effects. A strong wind will bring down trees. It will lift the roof out. It'll, you'll, it'll destroy your house. Right? And, but when the wind is mild, you see leaves blow around. You see trash blow around. You see the effects. Same thing with the Christian life. You can't really pinpoint. You can say, this is when I trusted in Christ. But you can't pinpoint that miraculous process all the time. But you know when your heart has changed. And most importantly, the people around you, they see what has happened. They see that the wind has blown. They've seen that the rock of God has moved in your life. And that you're a different person that you've been born again. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus. You must be born again to understand spiritual truth 
is the next thing we see in verses 9 to 13. So you must be born again to enter the, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. You must be born again. How? Through a supernatural birth. It can't be documented through natural science. But thirdly, you must be born again to understand spiritual truth. Meaning, apart from being born again, your heart and your mind will not comprehend the spiritual realities of heaven. Look with me now at verses 9 to 12 where we see this. Once again, I have it on screen for you. Verse 9, Nicodemus responds. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, there's a couple things we need to explain, right? First, as we mentioned, Jesus expected Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel to understand spiritual regeneration. By the time of the exile, by the exile, they should have understand what the prophets like Ezekiel were speaking towards, that people need to be born again. But what catches my attention is verse 11. Some of you, I don't know if you read this closely, okay, but I looked at verse 11. I said, who on earth is we? Who's we? So I'm like, is this the Trinity? Is this Jesus and his angels? Who's we? Because Jesus is himself. He's alone. And he says, we speak of what we know. We've seen. And yet do, uh, you do not receive our testimony. So I studied it and it, it's, it's not that spectacular. But it, it's good. It's basically him, John the Baptist, and his disciples. John the Baptist was preaching a message of repentance. And it's, so it's not the Trinity. It's him and John the Baptist. John the Baptist was saying, you need to listen Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. And what is repentance? It's not just outward change, it's inward change. It's a renewal. It's being born again, in a sense, it's regeneration. And his disciples were beginning to understand this. Remember that a few of Jesus' disciples were first disciples of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist taught them of what it means to be born again, at least from what John understood, and we would imagine that Jesus amplified and further taught his disciples, if you want to follow me, you want to follow the king, you must be born again, and his disciples are starting to understand. So what he and his disciples and John the Baptist are speaking of, we've seen, and, and, but yet you do not receive our testimony. Now, who's the you? The you, you can take note of this, you nerds, fellow nerds, is that this is plural in the original language. English doesn't tell you that. So when Jesus is saying you, he's saying you, religious leaders, you Pharisees, you who represent the Jews who reject Jesus, you do not understand this. You plural. You don't understand this. Y'all in Texas, right, don't understand our testimony. So here's a contrast. I want you to begin to follow each week. John the Baptist, what are they going to do to John the Baptist? John the Baptist, Jesus' disciples, what are they going to do to Jesus' disciples? And Jesus, they're here. On this side, you have this, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. Okay? There's 
you, and there's we. So as you follow John, you've got to pay attention to this. Verse 12, Jesus challenges Nicodemus by saying in a sense, if you and y'all can't understand earthly things, how can you understand heavenly things? Earthly things refers here, I believe, and New Testament scholars believe, this refers to regeneration. Because earthly things refers to what happens now. Being born again is what happens now. You don't go to heaven and be born again, right? You're born again before Jesus comes. You're born again before you pass away and go into glory. So if you can't understand the simple truth that you need to be born again, how can you understand other heavenly things? Heavenly things refers to spiritual realities, such as what it means to live in God's kingdom. Heaven itself, God's eternal plan of salvation. Unless you're born again, you will remain blind to the spiritual reality of Jesus his gospel, and his kingdom. Now, some of you understand this as part of your testimony. Because before coming to Christ, it's not that you couldn't understand the Bible. Now, for those of you who have been worshiping with us for, for decades, you've heard me say this over and over again. But some of the most knowledgeable teachers of Christian religion, meaning they understand religious literature, they teach at some of the prominent secular universities. They understand all the original languages, Hebrew, Greek. Uh, they understand Aramaic, Syriac, and different things, but they don't believe in Jesus. So clearly they can do exegesis. They can explain the Greek and the Hebrew. They can explain the history. They can teach it to you, and they can say, if you were a Christian, you know, you would believe this. The Jews believe this. They, they know the Bible. They don't believe it. Tell me how then the seven-year-old kid in that hallway or upstairs right now listens to Auntie Katie or some auntie or uncle teaching and they go home and they believe. And when they turn 18, they confirm, yes, I really believed. I didn't really understand all the theology, but I believed. I believe that Jesus was real. I believe. I prayed to Jesus. Jesus helped me. I believe. What? It's, how is that possible? And so some of you can understand that prior to coming to faith, you could understand things about Christianity and the Bible. You can Google search and, and study. But it, it didn't mean anything to you. You might have thought it was ridiculous that Christians give a percent, maybe 10% of their income <laughs> to Christianity after taxes. Why? <laughs> Why do that? Why spend your Sunday morning at church and your Sunday afternoon, depending on what type of church you attend, attending meetings? <laughs> Why? Why give your Friday night or your Wednesday night to prayer meeting? Why? <laughs> what do you guys believe in? You believe in you don't believe in evolution? What's wrong with you? You really believe that you can be born again? You believe in resurrection? But then something happened to you. You couldn't understand heavenly things until you had a heavenly heart, until your heart was born again. The Greek word born again, and again, we don't want to read too much into this, but the Greek word born again, the word for again, when you do a lexical study, it's born from above. But all the, all the translations will say born again because that's how we should read it. But it's born again, but it's also born from above. You have to be born 
of heaven. In order to understand the things of heaven. And the only way to be born of heaven is through Jesus Christ. And that helps us understand verse 13. Verse 13 says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's very clear. That nobody who is currently living, and no one living during Nicodemus's time has, has ever gone to heaven and come back. So nobody could actually tell you this is what heaven is like, and this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and this is what God is like. People who passed away, they stayed in heaven. The only person who comes down and tells you this is what the kingdom of heaven is really like, and if you want to enter it, here's what needs to happen, is Jesus, because he's the only one who comes from heaven. He's the Son of Man, and we've explained uh, the concept of Son of Man in previous sermons. That when they say, you are the Son of God, he's like, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. But who you're looking for might be wrong. You're looking for that ruler that's going to come and defeat the Roman Empire. I am the Son of Man. I needed to become 100% man. I am Ezekiel, Son of Man. Yes, Jesus, your Messiah, needed to be 100% man to pay for the sins of man so that our hearts can be born again. So that death could be defeated. Right? So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what happened to Nicodemus? You ever wonder what happened to Nicodemus? In John chapter 7, we see Nicodemus again, and it's so clear that John wants you to know that this is the same guy. There, yes, there were other people called Nicodemus, okay? but um, John wants you to know this is the same Nicodemus. In John chapter 7, Verses 50 to 52, there's a debate among the Jewish leaders and Nicodemus comes to Jesus' defense. I want, to, I want to read to you, it's on the screen as well. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, so that's the same Nicodemus, who was one of them, meaning he's one of the Pharisees, said to them, he said to his fellow Pharisees, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Are you like Jesus? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now some of you can relate to Nicodemus. I think we all can to some degree. Nicodemus at this point, so let's just be clear. John is not saying, nowhere does John say that Nicodemus was born again or that he actually becomes a follower of Christ. That the, the words, those words aren't explicitly stated. But maybe you can relate to Nicodemus. Imagine you, you're working in a secular place in your career, and you're not allowed to talk about Jesus, let alone religion. Apparently, you're allowed to, to argue about politics and criticize Christians, but you can't talk about Christianity being true. Okay? So let's just say that that's the reality. You're not supposed to talk about Christianity. But your co-workers start to criticize Christ. And they start to say things. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Christians are dumb. Christians are foolish. And maybe you're a seeker. Maybe you're not yet a Christian, Nicodemus. But maybe you're like, hey. So, so you're not bold enough to defend the faith. And maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid to lose your job. Maybe you're afraid to be reported to, to HR. So instead... You do what you can do. And you say, wait a minute. Shouldn't we, well, what about this article I read 
I mean, shouldn't we at least consider what Christians have to say? I'm not saying I'm a Christian yet. (laughs) Right, Nicodemus? I'm still a Pharisee. I'm not saying I'm a Christian. But shouldn't we just hear? Maybe there's some things about Jesus that maybe we can learn from. Or maybe he's a baby Christian. We don't know. But he begins to defend Jesus. But he grows. I want you to see John 19, 39 to 40. This is after Jesus' death. Once again, John doesn't explicitly write that Nicodemus was born again. But I want you to see this. Nicodemus also, so he comes with this guy named Joseph Arimathea, who was also an undercover Christian. He was an undercover Christian. He was afraid of the Jews. But it says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. So same guy, same guy, came to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So that's a large amount. That's the amount used to anoint the body of a king, just to give you some insight, or a wealthy or prominent person. If you wanted to do someone well because they were the president and they passed away, this is how much incense or or this is how much stuff you would bring to anoint their bodies and to prepare them for burial you would honor them in this way verse 40 so they so nicodemus and joseph of arimathea they took the body of jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices as the burial custom of the jews now i want you to just think for a second why would a respected jewish leader identify with a man who was just crucified as a criminal. First, for a Jewish person, to touch this body of a, of a sinner who was crucified as a criminal, that, that's a dead body. That's unclean. You, you don't touch an unclean body. Secondly, Nicodemus would violate his allegiance to the Pharisees. You're going to honor, with 75 pounds of weight, you're going to honor the, the enemy of the Pharisees. Surely the Pharisees would hear about this. Surely the, the guards, the, the Jewish guards who, who were maybe assisting the Romans and guarding the body, surely they would hear about this. Third, Nicodemus had a reputation to uphold. He was a Jewish leader. He, he might lose his seat among the Jewish council. He might lose his wealth, his reputation, maybe even his livelihood. It would, it would have been socially unacceptable to follow someone who had died a horrendous death as a criminal. Certainly, Nicodemus had to count the costs. So that's why I mean, John does not say anywhere that Nicodemus was born again. He did not have to. His heart was changed and his actions showed it. I want you to consider that the man who came seeking Christ by night, he now boldly comes to claim the body of Christ. Nicodemus, consider what he's sacrificing. Why would you do something like this? How many of you, even as people who are Christians, would go in such a dangerous situation and spend 75 pounds of your wealth to claim Jesus' body? Unless you were Jesus' mom. Like, like, why would you do that? Unless you were his disciples, why would you? There's only one explanation I can think of. Why would you sacrifice everything if you didn't love Jesus? 
And my explanation, the only thing that makes sense to me is that Nicodemus loved Jesus. Nicodemus was seeking God's kingdom, but he found the king, and he fell in love with the king. Nicodemus loved Jesus. Why? Because he had been given a new heart. That's the only way to love Jesus, to be born again so that you'll have a new heart. Now, again, this is not in the Bible, but Christian tradition believes, church history believes that Nicodemus was martyred because of his belief in Christ sometime in the first century A.D. The big idea of this morning's message is that Christ offers us a new birth. Christ offers us new birth so that we become new people with new hearts. Christ offers us new birth so that we become new people with new hearts. And a new heart is the only way you will love Jesus. And that is why you must be born again so that you will receive a new heart through the Spirit of God. Beloved, if there's anyone in here this morning who has not experienced what it means to be born again, but you're interested or you think that Jesus might be doing a work in your heart, don't leave here without talking to one of our ushers or talking to us. You can also email us at nextstep at fcbcwalnut.org. But it's better just to talk to us in person. We'd love to walk you through. Next week is an exciting week because we cover John 3.16. And so next week we will see the gospel on full display once again. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we see why we must be born again. We must be born again so that our hearts would be renewed, so that we would have new hearts as new people and that we would love you. Help us, Lord, to love you, not just with our words and not just with well-meaning actions, but with a wholehearted change inside out, Lord, that we would love you with our minds, our hearts, and with our actions. Father, now as we worship you, as we close out this service, be with us this week. Help us to live as new people because you've given us new hearts. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.